Uh, is it just me? And this would be for you guys that have children, but is it just me or do uh, little kids become geniuses at bedtime? I don't know if you've ever had this experience, if you've had small children before, uh, or if you're just recently come out of being a small child, you can remember this moment where for some reason, uh, children are ready to contemplate the universe at bedtime. And they'll ask all of the questions and it's amazing because earlier in the day, they could, literally could not color inside of the lines. But at night, they're contemplating like space and time and all of the universe. And they're asking these unfathomable questions, which feels amazing because they're, I mean, I, I remember questions. My kids were like, God, why did, dad, why did God not just tell Adam and Eve not to eat the apple? Why didn't he just take care of it right then and there? And then, like, why did he even let Satan do what he's doing? And they're asking all these questions. And God, a dad, could, if God, could he make a rock that's bigger than something he could lift? I mean, all these incredible questions. Like, you want to, like, well, this is amazing. I'd love to dive into some of these questions. But the truth is, is I'm plumb wore out. And so just, you know, pray and ask for God to sink it into your head while we're sleeping, Right? And of course, and they always finish with the most important question, which is, Dad, can I have a drink of water? I swear, everybody's just thirsty at late at night. I don't know why. But the questions are endless, and sometimes it's awesome, and sometimes, just being honest, I don't know if you ever felt wore out by questions. You ever been there? Of course, you guys have never felt worn out. You're amazing parents. But for the few of us in here that aren't perfect, uh, you can feel worn out at times by just the constancy of the questions that come and the barrage of all of the wonderings and all the things that happen. And so because we're human, we can certainly fall short in trying to answer that, fall short in grace of being able to keep up with all of the wondering. But the truth is that in all that never-ending questions, listen, God never tires of questions. Never tires of your questions, not afraid of your questions in any way, shape, or form. So it makes God, God makes us human. He's here for it. He's ready. Whatever questions you have, he is ready for you to bring them. There's not a question that is inappropriate. You know, there's an often a thought that uh, there are no dumb questions, although I think, you know, we know that there are dumb questions. If you've seen a morning talk show, you know there are dumb questions. They do exist, right? But to the Lord, there's nothing dumb. He's ready to take it all on. And not only is he willing to take all of the questions that you and I might have on, but he's got answers to all of them. Sometimes they're answers that we think are amazing and love. Sometimes they're answers that we don't necessarily love right away. But he has answers to the questions. And so some of our questions are real and meaningful. And sometimes our questions are coming from a place of a lack of faith or doubts or even unbelief. And I, I think at times there's some shame attached to those who might be asking questions even from a place of unbelief. Maybe you're wrestling with uh, something to believe whether or not good is, God is good or, or present. And some would say, man, it's maybe inappropriate to ask some of those hard questions that we have 
when we're walking through seasons of doubt or unbelief. But I think what we're going to find and what we're going to get to step into today is that the Psalms would say there's no question that's impertinent that the Lord isn't ready and willing for you to bring to him and begin to ask. In the Psalms, we'll see things like, Lord, why do you reject me? And will you be angry forever? And does the Most High take any notice? Those are the questions that are coming out of these incredible songs that we're studying and looking at. And what I think is sad is not when people have those kinds of questions when they're walking through moments of life that are incredibly difficult or where they're walking through moments of emotional or spiritual pain and they're not sure where God is in all of it. I don't think that's what's sad. What's sad is when you have those things that are welling up inside of you and you don't have a God that you can come to to find answers. That's what's sad. It's trying to figure out life alone. I have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm grateful for this faith, but I'm not in this thing with you guys this morning for religion. I don't, I don't need it. I don't want it. What I want is what God is offering freely to everyone in Christ is real, authentic relationship where we actually have a dialogue with the God of the universe to be able to say, where are you, O God? In very real ways, and to be able to open up our hands and ask God to answer the cries of our heart. Otherwise, what are we doing? What is this about? What would... What's the point of a religion if you don't actually have a God who is able to answer, knows everything, knows even, by the way, the motives and the reasons you're asking your questions? That's what's amazing. So that's something powerful. That's something worth worshiping in him. And that's what I love about the Psalms and So many, I think, of the questions that we get to see in the Psalms are just actually, and I'd say even right now, just invitations into brand new, fresh intimacy with the God of the universe. Like an an actual open door to come nearer and closer to him than you ever have before. What an incredible thing. That's where we start. It's one of the 10 Psalms. There's 10 Of the 150, 10 of them start with a question. The very first verse is a question. That's where we're starting this morning. Psalm chapter 10, verse one. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now here's, that's a real life question. That's a real life question. As you look at it right in your own Bibles, where are you? You feel like you're 10 million miles away from me. And I'm going through something right now and it doesn't feel like you care or are here. Why are you not here? That's what he's asking. How good is this question? 
How real and authentic is this question? I don't know. There's no other God you can bring this to. There's no other false God on the face of the earth you can bring this kind of question to. It's powerful. My question actually for us as we start to dive into this is, does your theology even allow for you to bring these kinds of hard questions to the Lord? Does it allow you this kind of space and relationship with the God of the universe to have this dialogue? And do you believe that if you do bring them to the Lord, that you're gonna have broken fellowship with him when you bring the the tough things to him? Those are the questions that sit on us when we read something like that. This is this incredible song that started in a very real way. I don't know if you guys will remember the, uh, the story of Moses, if you're familiar with it, in Exodus chapter three, uh, Moses had grown up in Egypt and he comes out, recognizes he's not of Egypt, doesn't want to be a part of it anymore and has moved away and is doing his own thing out in the desert. And in Exodus chapter three, God arrests Moses by beginning to speak to him as a bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And he can't believe his eyes. Now, listen, my, my family, we love, uh, one of our favorite things is to sit around a campfire. We just have a little fire pit, and we sit around it, and, um, and, we, and usually we uh, try to tell dad jokes to each other. That's what we usually do. But the coolest thing is uh, when you're pitching stuff in there, and immediately it's consumed. And I can guarantee you, if you and I were sitting in around a fire pit, you put something in the fire pit, and it's no, not being consumed, all of a sudden, ears are up, right? Attention is there. But not only is this bush not burning, but a voice is coming from it, a voice of the Lord. And here, here's what he says. Moses, I have a call on your life. It's bigger than what you think you can accomplish, which for the record is all of us. But this is Moses' story. And so I'm gonna call you to it. I want you to be the conduit by which I deliver my people. And Moses immediately begins with questions. He's not going like, oh my gosh, burning bush, the God of the universe is talking to me. He's like, this feels like a bad idea, God. That's effectively what he's saying. He's, first, he's like, who am I? Why would you pick me? You ever asked that question before? Who am I? Who am I? And then he's going, and then he says, well, but who are you? Like, how am I going to even communicate who you are? And then he says, but what if they don't even believe me? By the way, God's answering all these questions as he goes through the process. What if they don't even believe what I'm saying to you? And then he says, I'm a horrible speaker. Why me? Why would you even do? I hate public speaking. Don't do this to me. And then he says, listen, just could you send anyone else? That's what he finally says. It's amazing. It's amazing. God of the universe right there talking to him. Now, here's my question. Here's Moses with all of his question. Has he destroyed the works of God? Not even for two seconds. God's not stepping back, offended. Now, if there's a moment, he gets a little bit angry with him, all right? And God's good. Listen, if God's ever angry, it's because he's pulling you in tighter. Let me say that again. If God's ever angry, if you're sensing the anger of the Lord, it's because he wants more for you than you could want for yourself. And so the anger of the Lord's just churning, going, dude, you're missing it. Now bring your questions. 
but you aren't thwarting, you aren't stopping, you aren't capping what God's going to do in and through your life with your questions. If it isn't stopping Moses, it isn't stopping you. So bring them. We get to ask those questions. Does Moses lose his assignment? Nope. Does God say, we'll forget you, O ye of little faith? Nope. He says, no, I know what I'm doing in you. And I'm not afraid of your questions, so bring them. What are your questions? Why does he do that? Why does he allow us to ask those questions? Because candidly, God is leading you through a life in which you will have to ask him questions. He cares about you and I too much to let us live a life where we won't walk through moments where we're gonna have to ask God some questions. He absolutely 110% is meaning for you and I to go, God, are you sure about this? Or God, where are you? Or I don't understand this. Or how could this be? Are you sure it's me? Or where are you in this hour? The Lord is too gracious and too kind and too good to allow us to live a life where we don't ever have to ask him some questions. So he's ready for it. We might look and we, you know, we can, we can, of course, retroactively, you know, look at Moses and go, oh man, how goofy were those questions? I, I guarantee they felt really real to him in that moment. So we can often shame people that might have some doubts or questions, but the Lord's saying, I don't. Bring them and come talk to me. And let's open this up. And so that's where we meet the psalmist right here in Psalm chapter 10. We'll start in verse two. He says, okay, here's why. I feel like you're a million miles away. Because in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, The wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. And he says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all the generations. I shall not meet adversity. You hear the pride, the arrogance here. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He Seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He'll never see it. There it is. There's the psalmist getting out. He's getting all the stuff out, right? Here's why it feels like you're a million miles away. Because when I look around the world, it feels like the unjust 
and the evil and the wicked are having a field day. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. You might even be in a moment right now looking around our world and going, it just seems like everything that's wrong and broken is like living on high street. And I don't really understand it. I don't know if you've ever felt that way where it feels like evil is able to prowl around wherever it wants and it's taken people out left and right. You may have seen it in your family or among friends or coworkers where you're like watching the world thumb its nose at the ideas of the heart of the God of the universe. And nothing seems to be going well and those that are righteous are not seen. Or those that are in need to continue to go without. This person that's described here is so convinced that divine judgment is a myth that he doesn't even bother to hide his desires and his evil intentions. Just looking at it going, I'll do what I want. And yet they seem to be excelling and exceeding. This man worships his own lust. He's not just a sinner, but he's proud of it. Operating in pride. This person boasts of the things that often, or should, not often, but should bring shame, guilt, broken things, broken relationship with God, evil, taking advantage of other people, trying to convince others that God's a joke. If he ever even thinks of God, it's with a significant amount of disdain. He might not actually think in some ways that this humanity that's being described here doesn't even necessarily deny that God exists. He's just convinced that God is either unwilling or unable to judge. In other words, they're thinking God's irrelevant and a joke. And that's where it stands in yet the reason for the question is, why is that living the life? Why is he having a field day, Lord? Why aren't you bringing in this moment judgment? Why do you feel like you're a million miles away? There's stuff that's broken. It's chaos. Fix this broken thing. This person sees that because they're not experiencing judgment in this moment, he interprets that as just divine indifference. Like, ah. I don't know if you ever feel that way at times where you look at the world around and it feels like, is God just indifferent to the broken things that are happening? There's some really broken things that are taking place. And if God was going to do anything about it. He'd have done it by now. It's easy to think that way, to be lured in, to think that, yeah, well, if there's a God, he's too far and he's too distant. And if he has any power, well, it's certainly not enough to stop me. If he sees that he doesn't care or if he cares, he can't do anything about it. 
And then the problem is that those people seem to often have the upper hand and it seems like if they're right, justice doesn't exist and morality doesn't matter. I'll say that again. When these things happen, it feels like there is an actual justice and morality is a joke. And so it creates this temptation. It just creates a temptation for us to begin to join them. Is to think, well, maybe the best way to go is just by joining in with what everyone else is saying. That would take a lot of pressure off me. I could try to walk in a relationship with the God of the universe and trust him and what he says is right and believe that it's right and what he says is wrong and believe that it's wrong and then try to align my life that way, but it just feels like no one else is living that way. And this feels hard and difficult at times. And if there's so much evil certainly it may mean that there really is no God or he doesn't care. That's what's being felt here in a powerful way. And so the question is, all right, when that happens, how do we respond when God feels like he's hidden? That's the question we want to know. Okay, I've laid it out, I've asked the question, and I've laid out exactly why I feel the way that I feel. I wasn't afraid to bring this thing to the Lord. I'm bringing it to you now, Lord. Here's what I'm seeing across the earth. I feel broken down. The temptation is there for me to just walk off and walk the opposite direction. And so what's the response? How do we respond in that moment? And God brings the invitation for us just to become real in a real relationship with him where we say this, okay, God, arise and see me. That's what he says in verse 12. Look in your Bibles. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. We ask God to arise. When you're in that place where you're going like, it feels like you're a million miles away, then I'm gonna come to you and I'm saying, God, lift up your head. In fact, we finish every service here. We finish with a prayer just saying, God, lift your face on us and would you just see me? When you're asking, when we pray the prayer at the end of our services, we're saying, Lord, would you lift up your countenance upon me? It's a bold prayer to say, God, would you see me and exactly where I'm at and exactly what I'm walking through? Would you be here? Would you be here in this moment? We do battle by asking God, arise and look at me and see me in this moment. Forget not the afflicted. Forget not those who are walking and not necessarily having their day. You can go go back to the story of Moses. You go 30 more chapters ahead from Exodus 3 all the way to Exodus chapter 33. And God has delivered all of Israel. He's done all these powerful, mighty things, these miracles, signs, wonders, taken uh, all of the people of Israel out of bondage and they're into the wilderness and ready to go into the promised land just like God said he would do. And Moses is there ready to lead. And God says, you know what? I'm gonna keep my covenant with you. 
You are going to go into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. It actually says, in, he actually says, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. I love God because he never pulls punches, right? He's just being straight up real here. So like, listen, I love you. I'm going to fulfill my covenant, but I'm not going to the promised land with you. Moses comes back and just says, it's one of the most powerful, one beautiful, powerful interaction. If you'll read Exodus 33, because what Moses would do is he'd go get a little tent and he'd take it outside of the camp and he'd set up shop there and he'd get with the Lord and the Lord would come down and fill like a cloud. And it said in Exodus 33, 11, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now here it is. When you're in the doldrums and it feels like God's presence isn't going to be there, you come face to face. You and I, here's what the, here's the invitation for every one of us. You and I get to come face to face with the king of the universe as a friend. And you know what Moses asks him right after that? He says, listen, then if you're not going to the promised land, we're not going. If, you want, if, if your presence isn't going to the promised land, then we're, we're not leaving. We're gonna stay right here in the wilderness. Otherwise, how will we be known as yours? How will we be distinct as a people? The only thing that's going to mark us, the only thing that makes us us is you. And he just brings with authenticity himself saying, I don't want to go anywhere you're not going, but I'm right here with you and I want to meet with you face to face. It's the invitation. Arise and see me, Lord. I see you and I'm trusting you in this moment. And then what we get to do is we remind ourselves that God sees everything. Hear this. God sees everything. Every injustice that has ever been done to you Everything that has been wrong or ways that you've not been seen, God sees it all, every ounce of it. He says, verse 13, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you'll not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless he says is, I see every broken thing, every area of disappointment, every place where you've not been cared for, every ounce of hardship, I see all of it. I'm with you through this. We get to pray. And all of a sudden we get to just hand over the matter of the broken thing out there and we get to let God be boss of it. But we get to walk in friendship with the God of the universe. And what that does is it begins to remove the need for vengeance, right? And it allows you and me to be able to stand as pastor or prophet or evangelist or teacher, or apostle, all these incredible callings that you have on your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you meant to be 
one of these things in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you don't live out your ministry and full-time vocation, but you are called, you have so much calling and destiny on your life. And when you and I hand over what that which is broken and say, God, I need you to see me and remember all the things, all of a sudden we're invigorated again to be able to step out into what God has called us to be. And then we get to affirm that God will bring justice. God absolutely 110% will bring justice. It says in verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Meaning this, God will deal with every broken thing in its time and we can trust him. If you feel in the chaos of the world around us, like, man, this thing that feels like everything's imploding, know this, God will bring righteous justice for all. You might even ask, well, why the delay? Have you ever, I don't know if you ever wondered, like, why the delay? God, if you're gonna fix the thing, fix the thing now. Why delay? Why even allow for the evil to have their day. And it's such a powerful reality. In Romans chapter two, we actually get an insight into the heart of God. It says, listen, it is the kindness of God that will lead people to repentance. <laughs> if you grew up in a like old school church, uh, there are some really effective turn or burn messages out there. I'm gonna tell you right now, okay? It exists out there. All right, sinners in the hands of an angry God, it exists out there, okay? Well, I'm gonna tell you something. There is a truth to judgment against all things that are wicked and broken. God will absolutely judge it. But if you ever ask the question, well, how is it that it's able to continue to go on? Hear this. God has, in his kindness and forbearance, left a door open for people to turn their hearts away and come back to the living God of the universe. You want to know, like, why not now? The Lord's saying, I've got one more hour. I've got one more hour for people to turn their hearts. I tell you, the prayer of the follower of Jesus didn't turn or burn. The prayer is, oh, God, save them. Oh, God, change them. Oh, God, transform them. Oh, God, do a miracle in our political system. Oh, God, do a miracle among the arts. Oh, God, do a miracle among education. Oh, God, do a miracle across the earth, Lord. Turn people's hearts back to you. Move them, Lord. If God doesn't judge quickly, it's because he's merciful and kind. He's given a moment and an hour for our hearts to turn. If you found yourself in broken places and you're wondering, how does God not stamp me out? Hear this. He's so kind and ready for you to come home. He's so kind and ready for you to come home. When we use the word repentance here, the idea that the word literally meaning turn is the invitation to come home. Your heart's off in the distance. You've been following your own way, doing your own thing, living your own life. Hear this. You have a free hour right now where the Lord, the God of the universe is saying, come home. Don't run. Come home. That's how good he is. That's how kind he is. That's how amazing he is. 
Because there's going to come a day, 1 Thessalonians 4, where the Lord will descend and he'll say, enough is enough. Every vile thing that's ever been done to you, I'm bringing it under my righteous judgment. You don't have to hold it, carry it for yourself. You can give it to me. But I will deal with every evil thing on the face of this earth. It will come into account. It feels like it won't. But church, hear this. It will. Your God sees the injustice done to you. He sees the injustice done to the world. He's got an hour here to invite people into his family. And then there will come a day where he finally says, enough is enough. And you and I will never see an unjust thing ever again. So, when it feels like, like this psalmist songwriter says, God, you're a million miles away, hear this. Your God is right here, right now, and his invitation is come home. I'll answer the cry of your heart. I will arise and see you, and I promise you, Verse 16, that rest, we can rest knowing that God hears and he strengthens those who come to him. He'll strengthen you. You guys can come up. We'll finish reading this together. Verse 16, here's, what, here's how the song finishes, right? The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his Land, O oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike, may strike terror no more. That's what he's saying. No more terror. You guys stand with me. We're just gonna finish this morning with an opportunity. We're gonna, we sang it earlier, but it's important to, I think, be able just to declare it again. Together, we're just gonna last, use our last five minutes together just to say, Lord, here's how I fight. It feels like maybe I'm surrounded by chaos, but you surround me. You cover me. You go before me and you're behind me. It looks and feels like I'm surrounded at times, but you're my leader. You're my faithful king. So Lord, we just want to bring this moment to you. Would you just offer to the Lord any place where you feel like you're battling? Just offer it to him very quickly. Would you give to him any place where you feel like you're fighting? Maybe you feel like you're losing. Maybe you've been disappointed because it felt like the Lord has been a million miles away. Maybe it feels like the enemy is crouching in around you and you haven't seen victory. Some of you have some, some things that you've been praying for for years. Would you just offer it to him? Say, Lord, I'm gonna give you this again. I don't know how it's gonna be resolved, but I trust you. Would you just offer it to the Lord right now? Whatever battle you're facing, whatever things come against you, we're gonna declare this. Lord, we trust you. This is how we fight, Lord. We call on your name. We thank you that we can trust you. 
bring our questions to you and that you have the answer for the cry of our heart.